It's a great week on the High Motor Podcast. Andrew Doughty here after week eight, looking ahead to week nine. An awesome episode coming for you uh, here. Very quickly, it's time for a giveaway. It's been a while since the last giveaway, and we're going to keep it really simple this week. All you got to do, leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts, screenshot that review, tweet it to the pod, at High Motor Pod. Again, a review on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it, tweet it to High Motor Pod. I'll pick a winner. The winner gets some free shit. So this week on the show, number one, Tim Tebow back on the show again. He was on the show over the winter. Very pleased to have him back. One note on him, though. One thing that I was not expecting to have to say. I talked to him right before Wisconsin lost to Illinois. I asked him a question before that game. It's something that Brad Crawford brought up on last week's episode, a playoff scenario in which you have 11-1 LSU non-divisional champ versus 12-1 Wisconsin Big Ten champ fighting for that last spot. That's assuming that Oklahoma, Clemson, uh, and Alabama are in, and then LSU and Wisconsin are fighting for the last one. Who's in? It turns out that Wisconsin is just done now. They're done. I don't like playing that game after just one loss, but they're done. They're not getting in with an Illinois loss. And technically, yes, they could be 12-1 and uh, Big Ten champs, but they're not beating Ohio State twice if they can't even beat Illinois. So there's that. Number one, Tim Tebow. Number two, B.J. Reigns of the Idaho Press Tribune. I actually went to college with B.J., played some club baseball with him, took some road trips with him. He'll be talking uh, Boise State, and I also want to ask him about Troy Calhoun's potential uh, Mountain West departure comments for Air Force and a lot more on that. And number three on the show, the regular, the sharp better, Chase Kitty, giving a little betting advice in advance of week nine. Also touch on some World Series odds with him. Want to ask him how he feels about that. So that means no midweek episode this week. Apologies for that, but no apologies for this episode. Tim Tebow, BJ Reigns, Chase Kitty on the High Motor Podcast, College Football Week 9. Big thanks to Tim Tebow for dropping by this week. And Tim, right now, we're looking at almost the same faces at the top of that playoff conversations as we do every year since 2014. Only 10 different teams have reached the playoff first five seasons. We may not see a first time in the playoff this year, uh, depending on probably what LSU does. So not including a team like LSU or even a Wisconsin or a Penn State, all of whom are in that conversation this year, have been around that conversation in the past. Who do you think is that next team? Who is that next team that hasn't really been on the national radar for a long time, that could break into that playoff conversation in the next two, three, five years? I don't know if there is one right now, um, to be honest with you. I think it's, uh, if you're taking out the first 10 or 11, 12 teams, um, you know, you're taking away LSU, I think they have a shot. Wisconsin, um, Ohio State's already been in it. Penn State would have a shot. Um, Florida's getting better. Um, you know, Georgia's been in it. Alabama's been in it. Um, so you know, it's tough to see a team. I think these teams are going to continue to be dominant, and they're not going anywhere for a while. I mentioned Wisconsin being in a good spot, and I want to run a playoff scenario by you. So it's one that Brad Crawford of 24-7 Sports brought up on last week's show. Let's say that Wisconsin loses to Ohio State here in a couple of weeks in the regular season, then beats Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game to finish 12-1 and as Big Ten champs. LSU only loses to Alabama. So LSU 11-1 and non-divisional champs like Alabama was a couple of years ago. So if those two teams, 12-1 and Wisconsin, 11-1 and LSU, are fighting for that four spot with we presume an undefeated Clemson Alabama Oklahoma ahead of them right now who would be in that field between LSU and Wisconsin I'll tell you what man that is a really really intriguing question where is the regular season game at Ohio State Wisconsin that's in Columbus so we'll say that we'll say that um 
Yeah, we'll say that's uh, let's say both of them are close games. So let's say LSU Alabama is a close game. Both Wisconsin and Ohio State are close games. All those games are within a touchdown. Where are you at with that? I tell you what, I really, um, I'm a believer in this, but I really think that it's best. It's the four best, and um, I think sometimes we look at four most deserving, and I think so deserving would probably give the edge to Wisconsin and being the conference champion. Um, but I would want to look at and see how do they play down the stretch. How are they playing on film? And on a neutral field, who is going to win that game? And um, who I believe would, would win that game. Um, you know, obviously, if, if LSU played a really close game, um, you know, in, Tusk, in T-Town against uh, Bama, that's going to be probably pretty impressive and probably pretty high scoring. But also, if Wisconsin's able to knock off a, a undefeated Ohio State team in the conference championship, that's going to have a lot of weight as well. And I think I think the committee would like to have conference champions if they can. So if it's, if it's close head-to-head, I think they would go with Wisconsin. Um, it would just, you know, for me, it would depend. My vote would go to who I think would be the best team on a neutral field, truly be the better football team. And that's something that you brought up last time we talked. It was in January, right around that playoff time, and you were really adamant that you didn't believe that Notre Dame uh, was. You thought they, I think you said they were deserving, maybe, but they were not one of the four best teams. Uh, you know, we're still a ways out, but are there any teams? You, you mentioned Wisconsin, LSU. Are there any teams like a Notre Dame this year where you're worried that that team could get a bid, even though you don't think that they're one of the four best, but they are in a good spot resume-wise? I don't think we're in the same situation as last year. No, I really don't. I think you're looking at um, an Oklahoma. I think you're looking at Ohio State, Wisconsin, LSU, Alabama. Um, I, I think there's an outside shot of, a, of an Auburn, Florida. I think Georgia still has a, a, some, um, some say in front of them, even though they looked really bad last week. Um, I, I, maybe an Oregon, if they can run the table and find a way to look good at the end. Uh, I just see it really – it's going to be really hard for another team to get in outside – obviously Clemson as well. It's going to be really hard to get in outside of that. Um, you know, is is there going to be another ACC team? Don't think so. A team outside of what I mentioned, SEC, don't think so. Um, I, I think with two losses, I think it's going to be way too hard for Texas to get back in. So um, I don't see another outsider really pushing for it. Uh, shifting gears here a little bit, we've already seen one coaching dismissal with Chris Ash at Rutgers a couple weeks ago, and that coaching carousel is going to get moving here pretty soon. And one name that every single person is watching, Urban Meyer. If he returns to college football, somebody that you know well, either whether it's next year or in a couple of years, but let's say it's not USC like everybody is talking about, where else could you see Urban Meyer potentially going? Oh, I think it would have to be a, a great job, a, um, a job that um, – he knows he could win at um i think that he's he wants to be content just doing tv and hanging out with his family and his his new um you know grandkids and being able to um they got just finished a home in florida in a really pretty area so i know miss shelly his wife is really hoping to spend some time there so i think he's really trying to um find enough to do outside of coaching but you know that's how he's been hardwired for a long time and that's it's tough to to really stop that drive and passion you said you he wants to be content do you think that he is content being away from a game that he's spent his entire life around i think he's he's trying to be um he's he's trying to be 
contented enough. But you got to understand the lifestyle of, of him or a head football coach like that that is extremely competitive and really good at what they do and great motivator and, and loves being around young men and, and finds passion and purpose in it. And Coach finds a lot of purpose in that. He loves developing young men and developing coaches and being able to encourage them and get the best out of them. And um, and I think he wants to find the same purpose outside of it. And, you know, he's been involved in projects that, that we've done in, in fighting for people that can't fight for themselves. And he wants to do more of that. And, and I know he's speaking and on TV. Um, so I think if, if he can find the same purpose outside of it, I think he would want to. But you know, when you're doing something for a long time, it's very, it, it, you know, it's kind of ingrained in you. Do you think that the off-the-field criticism of Urban Meyer is fair? Um, I don't think a lot of people really knew exactly, um, you know, all the ins and outs. I mean, there was a lot of criticism when he left Florida to go to Ohio State, and um, and people didn't know everything. I think it's, um, you know, it's, in our society, it's, it, you know, it could be quick to criticize and slow to understand and um you know i, I think he's just um he's dealt with a, a lot of it um you know but i think that it doesn't necessarily hasn't been the easiest especially for his family to have to handle as well let's say that he doesn't go to usc um it is whether how much you think of usc right now he goes to like a, i don't know to throw it out like a tennessee a ucla that type of program do you think that he makes them I don't want to say an instant national title contender, but within a couple of years, then you can take one of those third, fourth tier programs into that playoff conversation immediately. Well, I don't think he's going to either one of those schools, um, but I uh, I think that wherever he goes, he would he would drastically, for the most part, make them better and be competitive pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, last thing for you, Tim. Last time we talked, I think you were in New Orleans doing some work with the Good Works team. What's on the docket with that program this year? Well, it's it's amazing. Another 22 young kids that are um, honored to be part of this team, and and I'm I'm honored to be able to talk about them because what all state does with the AFCA good team and supporting these young men and honoring them, I think it's incredible. Because you know we talk about touchdowns and we talk about championships, but very rarely do we talk about character, strength, and honor, which is all of what these young men do. And whether it's Jake Brown working with kids with special needs or Dabo Sweeney, his honorary coach, giving over $4 million to um, South Carolina charities, or it's uh, Luke Bevilacqua who donated his bone marrow to save a stranger's life. Like, that's what it's about. And, um, and I lo- love the sport and what these kids do for it, but more importantly, I love what they stand for and the type of men that they are. And so it's really special. Hey, Tim, thanks for the time. I always appreciate it, and best of luck with everything the rest of the year. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you. DJ Reigns of the Idaho Press Tribune driving back from Provo, driving back from that uh, BYU-Boise State game. BYU getting another notable win at home. Utah, USC, now Boise. Really, they're only three wins, I guess. So, BJ, is Lavelle Edwards Stadium just that hard of a place to play now? Yeah, I mean, it always has been for Boise State in particular. Uh, they've, they've, I've covered four games down here, and they've lost three of them. So, uh, it's a big stadium. They get a good, loud crowd, and just weird stuff happens there. Last night was weird. You had the rain and the uh, wind, and it was just a kind of a gloomy, cold night. And uh, BYU got up for the game and looked like the more prepared team, and, and uh, they picked up the big win, and that was a tough loss for Boise State. I want to get to some more Boise State specifically here in a second, but first, something that I've been waiting a couple weeks to ask you. So I think it was like a, a week or two ago, Troy Calhoun said 
he didn't know if the Mountain West was still a good fit for Air Force. And a few things on this for you. No, number one, how seriously are you taking Calhoun's comments? And do you think it's very real that Air Force could leave the conference in the near future? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I, Troy Calhoun just kind of speaks his mind sometimes, but I don't know how viable that is at this point. I don't know where they would go. I guess they could try to be an independent Navy, but I mean, it's just really hard to, to make a schedule as an independent. Uh, just ask, you know, UConn and their future schedules, but um, I, I don't know. I mean, I know that uh, playing the other, they play the other service academies every year. Um, the Mountain West, in terms of travel and stuff, is a, a good spot for them. I mean, they're in two other teams, uh, you know, and I guess three if you count Albuquerque, and it's only, you know, five or six hour drive from where they're at. And, and um, regionally, it's good. They've had pretty good success in the league for a long time. So I, I don't know. I, I think he, you've got other sports to worry about. I think a lot of people just worry about football, but you've got, you know, women's volleyball and basketball and soccer teams and everything else that come into play when you're talking about switching conferences and things like that. So I, 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 I you know, I don't know what spurred him to say that stuff in the first place, but I, you know, Troy Calhoun doesn't decide what conference they're going to. So uh, I think they're a good fit in the Mountain West, actually, but we'll see, you know, with, if another wave of realignment comes or if something happens, uh, you know, that might change. And my first initial reaction, naturally, I think, is if they leave, like, you know, who would replace them? And let's say it does happen, even though you're, you're not sure about that. Is it like a BYU? I mean, per usual, they're going to come up with with most conference expansion realignment talk, especially out west. Um, they're going to be mentioning those conversations. Is BYU the obvious addition, or are we looking down the line like a UTEP, a New Mexico State? Anyone that stands out to you besides BYU, or is it just BYU for the Mountain West if that were to come up? Well, I think the, the ones you mentioned, uh, UTEP, there's Rice, uh, you know, New Mexico State to a smaller extent, but I think Rice has been talked about, UTEP get into the Texas market a little bit. Um, there's just not a lot of other teams out there that you could pull from in the West. Um, but I'll say this, if, if BYU wanted to join the league, Boise State would kick out San Jose State and take them in a heartbeat. I mean, I, I think that uh, they would love to have BYU in the Mountain West. They, they, BYU ends up playing three or four Mountain West teams every year. They're playing Utah State next week. So um, it's, a, it's a regional game. It's a high-quality power, you know, uh, team that has some notoriety and some attention to them. Um, I think that BYU would make a lot of sense in the Mountain West, and I think that boys, that uh, they would, they would, if they called and said we want in, they'd say you're in tomorrow. I, I think that uh, a school like San Jose State doesn't bring anything to the league. They, they're terrible in football, basketball, baseball. I mean, they're they're you know, pretty pathetic in every sport. And if you look at their conference records, they really haven't been competitive since they joined the league in any sport. So um, I, I think that they would love to have BYU if that ever came about. BYU decided it made more sense to them. You know, it all comes down to money. Right now, BYU can make more money. Uh, not sharing their revenue pool from their own you know, TV contract with ESPN and some of those things. So if it ever got to that point down the road, maybe that's the case. But, you know, if Air Force were to leave, you just don't have a lot of options. Uh, like, I, you're probably UTEP and Rice are the two that come to mind to get into the Texas market, but I don't think either of those are all that appealing, to be honest. One last thing for you here. So after this drop, I was talking to a buddy of mine that, that covers FCS football, and, you know, we always go back and forth uh, with, like, what James Madison said a couple years ago, that they were kind of looking at the FBS. Then we were also talking about North Dakota State, and if they were to ever jump, there's just not really a fit. I know we're going down the rabbit hole really deep here, but any shot in hell that the Mountain West would consider or would go after North Dakota State? Uh, interesting. Uh, I'd have to look and see kind of some of their other sports. you got to look at facilities, obviously. Hawaii is in the Mountain West right now for football only. So Hawaii is football only, and then they have 11 school, 11 sports, uh, 11 teams for all the other sports. Uh, it just depends what they would be looking to do if they would want to add a, 
a, a school for all sports or if they just needed a football school. If they just needed a football school, you know, if, if somebody left or something, I could see that happening. Um, but uh, I don't know if they want to have the, uh, you know, women's volleyball teams traveling to Fargo, North Dakota, or whatever to play. So I just, I don't know how viable that is moving forward. But certainly football drives the bus. And they've had a, you know, heck of a run here in the football department for sure. Going back to Boise, dropping that first game of the season at BYU, like we said, is this game just as simple as saying they win if Hank Bachmeyer is playing, or is there something bigger going on here? I think that's certainly part of it. I mean, Chase scored through two interceptions in the game, and, and obviously, uh, you know, a couple of them were not good. One of them led to a flea flicker touchdown that you know, made it 28-10 to and almost put the game out of reach. So I, I, uh, I you know, it's tough to put all that on Chase Gordon that he's the reason they lost the game and say that Hank Bachmeyer not playing is the reason they lost the game. But certainly, uh, you know, he threw two interceptions and it both proved to be costly. The offense up until the fourth quarter didn't really move the ball that well at all. Um, it just looked, uh, you know, just, just looked sluggish. They just had trouble getting anything going offensively. They, they trouble, you know, had trouble running the ball, had trouble passing the ball. Um, they just, uh, didn't get it done. So I, I do think that it showed the importance of Hank Bachmeyer to this team, no doubt about it. A lot of people just assumed Chase Cord would step in and there wouldn't be much of a drop-off and they'd be fine. And I think you found out pretty quickly that, uh, you know, what Hank Bachmeyer is doing is something special. And it's not, you know, where some guy can just step right in without any kind of problems or issues and keep it rolling. I think Chase Cord is a good quarterback. I think he just had a couple bad throws. That was his first career start and not exactly any environment or atmosphere or weather conditions for that. So I don't think that, uh, you know, he's just some horrible back quarterback. He just didn't have a, didn't have a great game and it cost him. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that bad of a loss. No, a lot of people are going to look at you go and lose. I think they were two and four BYU going to that game. You know, Boise State obviously still in that top twenty-five picture, still in that top-ranked G five picture, still going to be competing for the Mountain West title. And this is something that we talked about on the podcast maybe three or four weeks ago. To to me, from afar, it doesn't feel like Boise State football has that that national uh, revered mystique as it once did. You know, despite the sustained success, despite huge wins uh, under Harson. Uh, in Boise, so for you, right, being in it, do you feel that too, or does it feel still feel like to you that Boise State is the Group of Five program in the country? Well, certainly they're losing some games they didn't lose in the past. I mean, they had a, a four-year run with Kellen quarterback where they went 50-3. and three. So you, you lose three games in four years. You know, that's something that's never, never going to be duplicated around here. Now they're pretty much losing two or three games a year. So, you know, most teams in the country would take a 10-3 and three year every year, but a lot of people see that as a disappointment in Boise. So, um, yeah, I mean, you certainly have other teams this year, Appalachian State, and SMU, and uh, Memphis, and Cincinnati, and a lot of other you know, well-deserved teams in the picture for the group of five spots this year. And they, a lot of people in Boise and around the program thought this could be a special year. I mean, they haven't had an undefeated season uh, in a long time. And I think 2010, I guess it was, and, uh, 2009 season, uh, but uh, going into the 2010 Fiesta Bowl, they went 14 know that year. So I... I, uh, I just think that uh, they had a chance. If they would have won this game, you know, their next three games are uh, pretty much easy wins. They had two home games against New Mexico and Wyoming and a road game in San Jose. Uh, they would have been 10-0. and They would have probably been ranked 7th or 8th. It you know, would have been getting really serious. But uh, they, they, you know, stubbed their toe and dropped that game. And uh, I do think, you know, that the mystique or whatever Rocky Long wants to call it is maybe not as strong as it once was. But you still – there's still a team that's going to win 10 games a year and, and uh, compete for a conference title and give you a fight pretty much every game they play. Do you feel like there's any sort of 
sense of frustration there, or do people understand that you're just not going to go, I think you said 50-3, and three, you're just not going to do that over a four-year period, or is there frustration saying, we need to you know, have an undefeated season every few years, we need to stop having two or three losses a year? Do you feel any of that in Boise? Yeah, I mean, I think they want to get, you know, they, they like the BCS Bowl games, the year six bowl games, the Fiesta Bowl, the, you know, the Cotton Bowl, the game they're fighting for this year. Um, those are the, those are their goals. You know, a lot of teams just want to win their conference, but the goal is really to get to a New Year's Six Bowl game, and they haven't done that since 2014. So, uh, and they've got, you know, one of those in the last nine seasons, or whatever it is, if you add it up. So, uh, I, I do think that, uh, you know, there is frustration. I mean, a lot of people will say winning 10 games, winning the conference, uh, is, is a good enough year for them, but, um, there's others that say that this, the ceiling should be higher for this team and that uh, New Year's Six Bowl game should be the, the goal and the expectation every year. So particularly in a year like this where every other team was losing and you kind of had it laid out for you, you just had to take care of business. A very frustrating loss for Boise State last night. And, and uh, you know, the fans maybe this morning have cooled down a little bit, but a lot of them were pretty pretty fired up last night uh, with the way they played and kind of the opportunity they left passing by. Last thing for you, I want to ask you this since his name comes up. It feels like every single year during the coaching carousel, what sense uh, do you have about Brian Harson's coaching stock elsewhere? Is that something that you ever think about him potentially leaving, or is he pretty much in Boise and this is where he's going to be? No, he's, he's, he's interviewed at other places. He interviewed at Oregon uh, at least once. You know, they've had a couple coaches come through there the last couple of years. I know he's at least talked to them once. You know, when Tennessee was looking for a coach a couple of years ago, his agent had uh, applied for the job there, some, some uh, public records that came out, we saw his name was on that list. So there's been some other uh, opportunities, and I, I don't think he's large to Boise at all. A lot of people think he's a lifer. He went to Boise State. He's never going to leave. He grew up in Boise, but money talks, and uh, you know he's at about 1.5, 1.6 million dollars. Some Power Five came, you know, school came in and tried to you know, offer to double his salary. I, I certainly think he would take a look at that. And, and uh, if I had to guess, I don't think he coached that Boise State the rest of his coaching career. I think it makes sense just to assume he's at some point going to go somewhere else. And, um, you know, if they, if they were to win the rest of their games and only have one loss, I'm sure he will be one of the hot names that will come up again. Any idea of where that could be? I mean, Oregon and Tennessee, I don't know if if you know if they actually offered the job, but those are pretty you know decent programs that even if Tennessee has struggled, those are still pretty good jobs. Any clue, I mean, is that a USC if they move on, or any idea of, of two or three jobs out there that he might take in the near future? Yeah, I don't know which jobs are going to be open, but I mean, he is a West Coast guy. I'll say that he did spend a year in Texas as the OC. He was the head coach for one year at Arkansas State before he came back to Boise. You would just you'd think Pac-12 schools are the most likely, because I think both Pac-12 schools currently have Boise State, uh, you know, former Boise State coaches or assistants as head coaches. So, um, you know, it's pretty crazy to see the coaching tree in the, uh, you know, the Pac-12 for Boise State guys. So I think a Pac-12 school would make the most sense. But, again, if uh, some school comes in and wilds them over, I think that uh, money talks. We'll just have to kind of see what jobs open up. But, I, I, uh, you know, just depends what jobs open up, if it's the right fit and, and if he's ready to capitalize. But, but you know, they still have Okay, that's BJ Reigns, Idaho Press Tribune, on Twitter, at BJ Reigns. Hey, BJ, uh, great chatting, great catching up. Thanks for the time, and uh, safe travels back home. Appreciate it, man. Always good catching up with you, man. Hope all is uh, well with you, and uh, hopefully we can catch up again soon. Please welcome back Chase Kitty to the podcast. And Chase, sir, I want to get to some lines here in a bit, some rapid fire. I know you want to talk about World Series lines, so a lot of people are interested in those couple more betting items but first a game that we've been playing for a few weeks now 
And this game is going to become very real as we head into the second half of the season and the coaching carousel heats up a little bit. Who would they hire? If this team fires their head coach, as we've always said, if you want to talk about hot seat and if you want to talk about is this coach actually on the hot seat and look at buyouts, we got to talk replacements too. And this week, let's talk Arkansas. For the record, I don't think Chad Morris will get fired. I don't think Arkansas wants another. They are fresh off of that Bielema buyout. I think they ended up at 11.9, and I don't think they want another high buyout. Chad Morris's buyout isn't that high. But let's play who would they hire? Arkansas. Again, they're not even two years removed from that disastrous run of Brett Bielema, which ended, again, it's at, uh, I'm seeing 11.9 is what they ended up paying Bielema. I think they're still, I assume they're still paying that out. So if Chad Morris is fired before his current deal expires on January 1st, 2023, so that's three more full seasons. And for simplicity's sakes, let's just say that if you were fired for this year, we're just looking at three full seasons, not doing any of that pro-rated crap. He's owed 70% of his remaining contract, which after this year, if my math serves me correct, would be around 7 or $8 million. So we're not at the 11.9 that Bielema is at, but those two together, over not even a period of 24 months, we're looking at $20 million in buyout. If they fire Chad Morris, Chase, who are you looking at for Arkansas? Maybe like Justin Wilcox. I, I share your skepticism that they would make this change. I think Arkansas just has a bad draw plan in that SEC West. Uh, so whenever you want to have this discussion, it's what are, first of all, what are the expectations in what is consistently the most loaded division in college football? And then B, who has a style of play that could come in and be successful if you are going to make the change? And I think Justin Wilcox is probably the name that I think is maybe a little hot right now. He's not super hot, but he's definitely warming. I think he's done a lot with a little at that Cal program. That turnaround was pretty fast. Now, if you're Wilcox, I don't know if you make this move because, number one, you're coming into a situation that just, I don't know how you win in that division at Arkansas. that's, That's just an impossible job. Like we talked about in Vanderbilt the other day. Arkansas might be even worse, not because the program is worse off, but because the competition is just ridiculous. Yeah, I actually like that a lot, and I've brought up Wilcox over the last couple of years thinking that he's going to be the guy that comes in line. Like if an LSU type of job opens up, if a Florida type of job opens up, I always thought that Wilcox would be that guy. There's a lot to love there. You mentioned that quick turnaround at Cal after things kind of went in the shitter when Sonny Dykes left or when Sonny Dykes was fired, but... A lot to love about Justin Wilcox. He has the P5 experience. He has the high-level G5 experience uh, working under Chris Peterson at Boise State. I mean, he was uh, the D.C. at Tennessee, I think at Washington, USC, Wisconsin. And then, you again, you mentioned that nice turnaround at Cal. And maybe it's like when I had Brett McMurphy on the, the show a few weeks ago, it was right after Chris Ash was fired by Rutgers, and he mentioned something that's not new. We, we've been hearing this for the last several years now, is that now more than ever, coaches – aren't taking jobs necessarily for the state of the program as much as they were. Sure, there are still some cases like that, but generally money is about the same. There will be tiers. I mean, certain programs can just pay coaches more than others, but generally most P5 programs are going to be in that three, four, five, six million dollar range. And yes, there's a difference between $3 million and $6 million, but regardless, it's more about family fit and how they feel comfortable with the leadership um, at that program. And yes, even though Justin Wilcox got that nice raise last year, I think he's at like three, two point nine, three million right now. Arkansas can pay him a hell of a lot more. And if he likes that situation more, that's kind of an interesting name. And I actually like that a lot more than, I mean, you're looking at the G5 names. I don't even know if Arkansas would do that again. I mean, with how poorly Chad Morris is working out, and I know that 
it's kind of like the NFL draft thing. Like if a if a safety from Tennessee does poorly in the NFL, that that fan base never wants a safety from Tennessee again. So it's not like if you hire another G5 coach, he's not going to work out. And we talked about a little bit offline before this. Are you looking at like Sonny Dykes? I don't think that Sonny Dykes would take that job, and I don't think Arkansas would be interested in Sonny Dykes. But still, the optics of hiring another SMU head coach, even though that's not the same comparison hiring Chad Morris and Sonny Dykes, the optics of that I don't think would work, and I don't think they would hire him. But again, Wilcox, it seems better than, you're looking at some of these G5 names, and this is also something we just talked about before we hopped on here, kind of an underwhelming group this year. Yeah, like you have Mike Norvell, you have Brian Harson, everybody's been staring at for a long time, but after those guys, who are you even looking at? With, with UCF's recent loss, I mean, Josh Heupel's stock is a little bit lower than usual. Seth Luttrell having kind of a tough year in North Texas. If it's not Justin Wilcox and they go, do go to the group of five, are you just seeing somebody that I'm not seeing there beyond Heupel, beyond Latrell? Maybe this is a spot for Mike Norvell, but I'm not seeing anybody else. Not really, and I think that's why sort of the parameters that you set up for these discussions are so smart, because lots of fan bases want to fire their coaches. Lots of people are unhappy. But the logical next question is, okay, but then who are you getting to replace them? And it it doesn't feel like there's a lot of names out there this year. Now, maybe people make these decisions anyway, and some coaches get fired, and they pull up some coordinators that we're not really thinking about or, or aren't on our radar but it just it feels like the bench is pretty thin right now. Well, along those lines, also, we don't know who's searching. For, I mean, Dave Aranda's name has been mentioned, the LSU defensive coordinator. His name has been mentioned for so many jobs recently, like a Brent Venables, those type of guys who have been there for so long. We don't even know the inner workings of that. Are they actually looking for a job? Maybe Dave Aranda wants a job, and maybe that's an Arkansas type of job. We have no idea. But I, I, maybe the conversation here is, we there isn't another guy, and we talked about a lot. Is when you wake up the next day, do you really feel that much better about this guy leading your program than Chad Morris? If I woke up tomorrow and had Justin Wilcox leading my program versus Chad Morris, I'd feel a hell of a lot better. But like a Josh Heupel, I mean, if they fired Chad Morris and pay him eight million dollars, now you're twenty million dollars in the hole with buyouts to him and Bielema, and you wake up tomorrow and Josh Heupel is your head coach. If you're Arkansas, if you're an Arkansas fan chase, are you really even feeling that much better about that? Probably not, but again, I would go back to the idea of what are the expectations at Arkansas, right? Like, I don't know what their program thinks that they're trying to be or can be when they're surrounded by A&M and Jimbo Fisher and then the monster that has now reared its head at LSU. It feels like they're back sort of at the absolute top of the national order again. And then you have Alabama and then you have Auburn. Like, I, it feels like they are not competitive in at least three of those four games. And I feel like in another year or two, A&M's going to be up there as well because I just trust the job that Jimbo's going to do. Uh, so I, I don't know what the expectations are with that program. And, and I don't know, like if Arkansas goes four and eight, is that an acceptable year for them? That I feel like that's a decent question to ask. I don't think it's an obvious question. All right, let's move on. And I want to get to rapid fire here in a second. It's going to be a quick rapid fire because we're so early in the week here. Don't have all the lines, but first, as I mentioned in the open, a lot of listeners probably curious about World Series odds, curious on your take. And right now, and we're recording this, we're not even 12 hours removed from the Altuve home run. So right now, I'm seeing Nationals plus 180 to win the World Series, not just Game 1, win the World Series. Astros minus 220, and then the Game 1 odds, almost the exact same. Nationals plus 179, Astros minus 200. Any strong opinion on any of those items, or do you know which direction you're going to go? Uh, I, I'd be curious before I, I definitely want to take a position on the series. 
I'm interested to see which way the public bets because it feels like, and I don't have any data yet because they just hung these numbers, but it feels like the Nats are going to be a trendy underdog pick. It just feels like they've got a lot of public support, even from non-Nats fans. It's sort of anytime you see a, an underdog type of type of team going to run like this, it feels like they they get a lot of bandwagon support from betters. Uh, so I think even though Houston is minus two twenty five, which is the biggest World Series favorite uh, since two thousand seven. I wonder if that's actually going to be the side to be on based on how the public bets. I'm going to wait to see uh, which whether I need to zig or zag or, or what's going on with the series. I feel like for game one, the side to be on is definitely the Astros. Just because Scherzer has just not been all that great this year. Uh, his, his record, he, he didn't get a ton of run support, but even past that, a lot of the more advanced metrics feels like they look like he's just kind of an above average pitcher. So I like Garrett Cole to go out and get a win in game one, and then we'll kind of go from there. I'm going to wait and see. I've got a couple days because game one is until Tuesday, so I'm going to see a little later, uh, maybe tomorrow, late Monday, where the public's at in the percentages betting the series and go from there. You mentioned the Astros being the heaviest favorites in the last 12 years. I think you said 2007. How much historical precedent do you, when you say that, um, you know, kind of hopping on the bandwagon, I go back to like the Royals in, in, in 14 and 15 the Royals going against the Giants in 14, the Mets in 15. Does it kind of feel like the same? And then I know that's, what, four or five years ago now, but do you remember how the betting public approached the Royals in those two, and do you see any similarities? Um, the only thing I really strongly remember about those two years is obviously Kansas City's bullpen number one and then just being really annoyed with the Royals in 14 before they lost the Giants. They played the Orioles in the ALCS, and just those games were like... The, the Orioles were such a weird team in 14. They were so ridiculously lucky. They, they were like something like 40-1 and one in one-run games. I don't know, something impossible that will never be done again. But it, it felt like all that luck turned in the ALCS, and they lost a bunch of one-run one games. Uh, that, that is like, I think I've blocked out everything else from those two years because I was at those games in Baltimore, and it was just so disappointing. But you see, but you see a similarity in terms of people hopping on because the Royals had a lot of bandwagons. People that didn't want to see the Giants win again. Um, people just generally, and it wasn't the Yankees, it was the Mets. But a lot of people just generally don't like New York teams and New Yorkers. So do you see any similarities there where you could maybe take advantage of people hopping on that Nationals bandwagon, whether or not you think the Nationals are going to win or not? Uh, I think, I think it depends on. When you look at the percentages and you look at the lines and, and you look at the fact that this is the highest, the, the biggest favorite since 07, I think what you have to ask yourself is, okay, why? Is it just because straight up the Astros are a way better team top to bottom in the Nationals and what the Nationals are doing aren't sustainable and now they've had a couple days of rest and they're going to come into the World Series and maybe flatten out a bit and the Astros just have a better roster and that's going to take over? Maybe that could be the case. Is it because the the books are trying to entice people into making that trendy Nationals pick because the price is so favorable and they want to be on the Astros side of it? Maybe. Is it because they're trying to prohibit people from jumping all over the Astros bandwagon that when you step back and look at the two rosters, it does look like Houston's a lot better? And I'm saying that as somebody that's gone to a lot of Nationals games this year. I, 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 it's tough to say. So I, I want to collect a little bit info, more information and sort of figure out which pattern I'm going to believe in. 
because all three of those have some subtle differences that can affect which way I might want to bet. And we're early with this, and I'm going to get to rapid fire here in a second with five college football games. And because we're early, if you have any questions later in the week as you're kind of going through this, Chase on Twitter, at Chase A. Kitty. Your DMs are always open, right? Always open. Always sliding into those DMs. So <laughs> All those ladies that listen to this podcast. All those ladies kind of get those World Series odds, huh? Yeah. I want to... I don't even know if this should be a rapid fire because there's one line here that I'm not even a regular better, but this just absolutely reeks. And you had said this when I sent this to you. You thought I was wrong. I was, yeah, no, I thought this was Notre Dame at Michigan. Michigan is, depending on where you're looking right now, we saw two numbers. And again, we're really early. This is Sunday morning, so we're not even 12 hours removed from all the college football games. Notre Dame at Michigan. Michigan is either a 6.5 or a 7.5 point favorite. Why this... To me, as a just a not even a regular better, this seems insane. To you, as a sharp better, how insane actually is this? Yeah, no, it's crazy. Uh, it's what it should the line be? Sense. Should it be like two or three Michigan max? Um, I would think maybe I, I don't know, maybe in the two and a half to maybe even as high as four and a half range. I don't. the The traditional wisdom is home point advantage is worth three points. So you're telling me that if Michigan played at Notre Dame, Michigan would be a road favorite with this line. That's what that, this line tells me. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. So I don't know how you don't take Notre Dame. You bet it early. You have to bet it early because this is going to go way, way down. Uh, but if, if you're looking at a book where you're catching seven and the hook, I mean, that seems like a lot. This where do you think it'll settle like at? Do you think it will settle in that three to four range? It will I think it'll much. come all the way down to three. How yeah. often does that happen where you're losing, I mean, not really a per- percentage-wise, but you're losing, you're going to finish at 50 to less than 50% of what the line was. How often does that happen? And is this it's just pr- a mistake line? I don't... Like, Look, is some, is some odds maker just starts... blasted and he, he put seven and a half in there and he's going to wake up today and say, oh, shit? Anytime you start talking about how books are mistaken, that's a really fast way to lose money. So you you have to keep that in mind. But I I just don't see, when you look at Michigan's record against ranked teams under Jim Harbaugh, they're like 1-10 in in those games. Notre Dame is more highly ranked than Michigan right now. I think they've played a tougher schedule. They have more good wins. I mean, who is Michigan beaten that you're like, oh, yeah, they can they can beat a top-10 team? Like, Blessed I, Rutgers. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just don't understand this line. It's so crazy that it, it, it's, it, it's almost – I feel like people have forgotten what gaslighting actually means. This line is gaslighting me. Like, I, I'm questioning my sanity looking at what this line is because it does it makes that little sense. When you say that, are you are you to the extreme of what on earth could be wrong at Notre Dame? Like, is Brian Kelly about to get arrested for soliciting? Something like that. Are you going that <laughs> far where you are just horrified? We were like, what the I, hell happened at Notre Like, are they getting slapped with sanctions on Monday morning? Yeah, I, I don't know. It it, it just it, this doesn't make any sense to me. So that that's a great that's a great pull by you that like, oh, what's going on that we don't know about? Because uh, it, it could be one of those situations. Vegas always knows first uh, in almost every sporting story. You see stuff come off the board or you see odds radically changed. And, and this isn't even just about sports. Like you can go look at like how political uh, futures change. And, and that's a good cue or key to look at you know certain things differently. It's, it's just, I don't know, it, this line makes no sense to me at all. 
So I mentioned it's rapid fire, but it's not really rapid fire truly this week. I have four other games that I want to get to and take as much time as you want on these, Chase. Wisconsin at Ohio State. Uh, I'm seeing anywhere between 9 and 13. I think the number that you pulled was 10.5 for Ohio State. Ohio State is just rolling right now. Wisconsin coming off of that Illinois uh, loss. Where Do you think that there is some overreaction to that loss or are you really buying that Wisconsin's just not that good of a team and they will in fact get steamrolled in Columbus no I'm not buying that I think the side to be on here is probably Wisconsin uh it's this is a great buy low opportunity right how I don't know what this line would have been off the top of my head before yesterday but it probably wouldn't have been at some books, almost as high as 14. Because Wisconsin plus 14 before they lose to Illinois feels like an automatic bet. Now, because they're coming off the loss, maybe this line is a little softer. So I think the line, the, the side to be on here is probably Wisconsin plus the points. That being said, you do have to be careful betting against Ohio State this year because they are just murdering people. Auburn at LSU. LSU is 6.5-point favorite. They're just doing whatever they want on offense. Do you see... Auburn keeping that game more than a one-score game. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting game to watch, but probably not an interesting game for me to bet. Uh, I love the matchup in terms of watching Auburn's defensive front try to disrupt what LSU is doing on offense, and I'm interested to see how LSU tries to adjust to that. But when you talk about handicapping, LSU, like Ohio State, has been murdering people. They're 5-2 and two against the number this year. The problem is one of the only teams that's better than them is Auburn. Auburn's 6-1 and one against the number. So you got two teams that are both really good against the number. I think most pros would probably tell you that this is advantage Auburn because they have the better record and they're catching the points. Uh, but for me, this is probably just to stay away, watch the game, internalize what happened, learn more about the team's. Uh, and probably find other places to bet. Texas is making the short trip to Fort Worth. Texas coming off of that that very unimpressive win over Kansas in which Kansas basically did anything they wanted to offensively. Yeah, Texas is depleted defensively, but still a very underwhelming, poor performance by Texas. When I first opened this up, I actually saw a line on Odd Shark that was TCU minus two. You saw a line that was Texas minus two. Is which one? I, mean, I would imagine that you would take Texas at plus two, absolutely, in Fort Worth. Where do you think this line will settle, and is there any interest for you? Um, I think there's probably going to be a decent amount of action on TCU this week uh, from the public just because Texas looked so bad against Kansas, and that's why I like Texas this week. Uh, it, it's, it's almost the same as the Wisconsin situation. Texas is coming off of a win, but it was an ugly win. Kansas was catching way too many points in that game to begin with. I had Kansas plus 21 in the parlay this week. Uh, But I like Texas on a really short number against a TCU team that's much more brand than actual good team this year when you look at how they've been handicapped. Most of the numbers, they've just been way over the top for TCU. They're, They're not very good this year. They're just not. But people, I think, are accustomed to TCU being good. So there's value here in that TCU is being overvalued consistently this year. And Texas is maybe being a little undervalued here. And this is coming from somebody that's been critical of Texas all year. You know, we've talked about it on this podcast multiple times. The defense isn't very good. I feel like they're not very consistent. Uh, They're not the second best team in the Big 12. I don't know if they're the third best team in the Big 12 at this point. Uh, So I just... I'm really not high on Texas, but this is a spot where you'd want to bet them. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how those numbers come in because, as people remember, TCU just absolutely annihilated Kansas at home in a game that Kansas didn't do anything until the fourth quarter. And then Texas, yeah, Kansas did change offensive coordinators, uh, got some new personnel in there, so I get that things are a little bit different. But still, it'll be interesting to see how people react to those two games and approach this one. Last one for you. In the Pac-12, Washington State finally gets a win after that losing streak. Oregon comes back from 14 at Washington, and Oregon is hosting Washington State this weekend as Oregon attempts to keep whatever potential playoff hopes they have. They're probably gone, but they might still exist a little bit. Oregon, five and a half points uh, favorite at home. Which side are you interested in, if either? Probably the Oregon side. Uh, I do think Oregon is the class of the Pac-12, so five and a half is sort of one of those interesting no man's land numbers. It's, uh, it's not as quite as bad as minus five, but basically you're betting on Oregon to win here by six or seven close to a touchdown. And I think they can do that. I mean, I, I don't know how good Washington state is. I know they won big this weekend, but I think they've been more up and down this year than they typically are. Uh, I think Oregon is, the touchdown better than Washington State this year, along with most other Pac-12 teams. So I don't have any problem laying the five and a half here. Again, reminder, no midweek episode of the show this week, but I'll be back with, am I going to be back with you on Sunday, wrapping up week nine, looking ahead to week 10? Are you on Sunday? I don't know. (laughs) Do you want me? Might be hitting the road for another wedding. Uh, not, not another wedding. Uh, I do have to drop somebody off at the airport at 4.30 in the morning next Sunday. But if you want to record after 4.30, I think I'm available. You know, like Uber and taxis do exist. That is the dumbest thing. Can I get a ride to the airport? Well, he's staying at my house next weekend. So, I mean, and it's Uber not like I'm driving to his house. From... Then... Okay, it's not as bad. But yes, when somebody would be like, hey, can you come pick me up for the airport at 4 a.m.? Sure, let me wake up three hours early to pick you up for the airport. So wake up, I'll probably still be awake, man. Hey, also again, send the pod a screenshot of your Apple Podcast review at High Motor Pod to win some free stuff. All right, Chase and I will be back on Sunday if you are awake from the airport. Thanks for dropping by to all of you. Behave yourselves this week. Enjoy week nine. (laughs) 